Welcome everybody to the what it what it do faking notes faking notes podcast. It's the faking notes podcast, folks. We are in week something of the quarantine. Yeah, and we're happy to be in your ear holes. So with this next episode, uh, we talk a little bit about I guess expectations in music. What to what to go through about your art and how to manage your expectations. Also, what goes into Having a career not really from the business side and not from the technical side of your your playing and your mm-hmm. capabilities of your craft, but uh, friends, relationships, like how does how does that play into the equation? And it was a lot of just kind of catching up. Uh, I I personally talked about uh, some things that I've learned about you know building your social media journey and kind of did some reflections. It was a very reflective podcast, wouldn't you say, Trevor? I definitely say so. We talked. We talked a lot about our, our past, uh, history, past dark, experience, dark past. Oh yeah, uh, but above all, we learned that you know, at the end of the day, if you're really trying to get into classical music, you should introduce your kiddo to some virtuosic Bach, lute, lute, <laughs> concerti, and tell you them to play it on the guitar. Your children to complex music. You set them down <laughs> from an early Clockwork age. Orange, mm-hmm. and then it's. You know what? Every Haydn string quartet, just right here, droplets right of water now. in the eyes, mm-hmm. full mm-hmm. Kubrick. It's, it's great. You should do it. And uh, as you're setting up the earphones on your uh, child that is losing their mind because you took their iPad away, just give them some Rite of Spring, <laughs> see what happens. And you settle down with us into this uh, fun little episode. All right. We'll, we'll talk to you all soon. Uh, enjoy. I'll never know. Bro, have you been recording? Have you been recording? Oh, yeah, I've been recording. Oh, man, I just started recording on my end, so that's perfect. We're we're great. Okay, we're golden. That was brilliant. That was the the mission statement, dude. You said the mission (laughs) statement. I only watch educational videos on topics I'm only slightly into. It's true. Not Not even the ones that I need to know. No, you don't need to know it. I'm not, I'm not watching videos on how to be better in logic, how to be better in Sibelius, how to be better in relationships. It's like, no. Uh, I mean, what about a Adobe Photoshop? <laughs> it's like an app I will only open maybe once more in my life. Or what, what, ooh, what are these like, how to, you know, a game design thing. It's like, oh, that's cool. I'll we never t- do that. Can we talk about, can we talk about how crippling the anxiety it is to open up Photoshop. Dude, I like I panicked. Bro, I feel so much panic. So I opened Photoshop to make <laughs> this gift. He's laughing because we, we did a clap, clap, clap in order to, to line up our sync or audio. And then I just immediately segued in as if it didn't happen. That's that's called professionalism right there. And but then you laughed and we had to we had to let everyone know. But yeah. I, I think I already talked about it a while back, but I made uh, me and Amy collabed on a gift for her father, and it's it was my first Photoshop experience, and I think it looks very good considering that. But I opened up this program, and it blew my mind, and just how frustrating <laughs> it was, and how complicated it was to do fairly simple things, and I had to Google a bunch of things, and also the problem with these complex programs, it it gives me sympathy for when I need to teach people. So I like doing these types of things when I'm trying to explain my programs. But the the biggest issue that I really understand why other people have 
problems getting into music software is that so many things, one, we take for granted because we've worked in them for years, and two, just yeah. the terms, like uh, the, the, terms the terms for how to do things. I wouldn't know what keyframes yeah. meant at all if I was trying to figure out something in uh, Adobe uh, Premiere. Premiere, like, yeah. What, what is a yeah. keyframe? And there's something that starts with a B and it smooths out your transitions and there's all these like little terms easy ease that you wouldn't <laughs> that I wouldn't be able to even like come up with them to google them and it gives me sympathy after after mm -hmm. that brief experience in photoshop it just gives me a lot of sympathy one for all you memers out there and two for anyone trying to get You're into doing god's work in into music production or engraving, the two type of softwares I use all the time because they are so confusing uh, from the outset and only after years do you really figure things out. Yeah, I mean, I felt that way, especially about After Effects, Adobe After Effects. Like I wanted to make all these different awesome um, uh, intro sequences for my uh, for my YouTube channel for like different series, like they have, would have different intros and stuff. And uh, I I made one. I just made one for the vlog, and it's like the one that's like the burning and flickering fire, and then you see the uh, life after Juilliard's like being written, and then it like all pans out. It's like really dope. That's the only one I ever had the stomach to make, because every other project I ever tried to make, I just got freaked out and was like, okay. I have to go practice now. Like, I just can't sit here and figure out how to make everything work the way I see it in my brain. It's hats off to people who are good at that. I've heard from the film people out here and one of my uh, shout out to my, I guess, last roommate pre me and, uh, or actually during me and Amy, mine and Amy's roommate, a close, close friend, Carter Oakley, shout out. Um, he's barely on any social media, so there's definitely no way he'll hear this, but he's a great person, <laughs> a dear, dear friend. Yeah. And the one thing he'd mentioned, so he 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 got into film a couple of years and he shoots commercials and works for companies and creates their content, but also does some interesting, interesting little like pet personal projects on Instagram. I think they're great. They're really mm -hmm. fun. And he did it to work on animation. And that was the one thing yep. he really pointed out. Like, think of how annoying everything else is. You know it. I don't. I'm learning this, but other people who've experienced film are trying going in there, kind of complex to get something good out of it. And he was using his. It's tell me a true story. It's on Instagram, and uh, occasionally he'll post up these nice little, I don't know, say I guess sixty second uh, segments where he just records someone telling a story. And he did it to animate and practice animation. <laughs> and the stories he tell me about how hard it is just to do the simplest things. Uh, and he's trying to demonstrate it, like getting into After Effects. He's like, "This is this is an absolute nightmare," and it just gave him <laughs> the utmost respect uh, to anyone and everyone who had to go through that. And I know animators; uh, it's a very tough life, depending on the budget. But if you become a top a top dog in animation, what you can charge for just the smallest videos is kind of insane. You want a little 60 second Instagram ad that's custom, 50, 60, $75,000. Really? Yeah. Oh, so I'm like really kind of the bot, I'm like bottom of the shelf in terms of content creation. Cause I don't, I don't see, I don't see those numbers. 
I don't I don't be y'all. See what you I do. You need to you need to like st- if you stand really far away from your numbers, they look a lot bigger. Oh, sh- they look a lot big. Oh, sh- okay, okay. Is that is that, that one zero? Is that five? Is, is that five? Is it, uh, oh, it's 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 one. It's, it's one. one it's one. But it's when one you stand zero. away and you squint yeah. and with these eyes, it gets a little. It looks a little. Fuzzy. It could be three. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it's really Bro, based I, on my mood. Yeah. With those numbers. <laughs> Based on the mood, I I really, I, yeah, it's it's so interesting because there's no story, uh, sorry, there's no like school like actual, there's no like set path to like figure out how to do all this stuff. And in speaking to some of these these uh, potential clients in the future, just people just asking people about so their social media experience mm-hmm. and like how they've been going through it. Like I remember it's bringing up all those old feelings of like, wow, this is the most challenging thing I've ever done in my life. And I'm sitting here, my world is on fire and I have a lesson tomorrow. (laughs) And I can't play my Hummel because I was trying to learn how to edit. Oh man. It's crazy. Hummel. (laughs) Oh, you have that piece too? we We have both that piece and, and the Andante. Andante. That like nasty bit. It's it's a little rough <laughs> on the scene. And on a bassoon. See, on a viola, it can sound a little respectable. On a bassoon, it's like it's the chicken dance. It's the chicken dance. Right, let's be honest. When when a bassoonist Dude, plays totally that piece. It's it it was the that was the eighteenth century chicken dance. Bro, do you know you do know that my first year at Juilliard I played that in my recital. Like that was my piece. Dude, that's gold. That was my piece. You can go back on Instagram, you'll hear me playing parts of it. It's on Instagram. Look it's at look the in, back. Uh uh what? I would say, it, it, it's at the back of, there's like the the kind of bassoon etude book that everyone goes through, the Weissenborn. Oh, really? It's, it's they put it in, in some of the editions, they put it in, in the addendum. It's one of the last things in there. And that's probably a big reason you hear it because it's kind of like the, you've accomplished the etude book. Oh, it's the congratulatory. Hey, look what I can do. Yeah, so it's like after 50 uh, highly technical etudes congrats all you can do is play the chicken dance (laughs) look man what we do is so hard and and to even be at a place where you could look at you know a piece like that as like the corny chicken dance it really (laughs) says a lot about your experience because when you're a kid and you're seeing that, you're like, what are these notes? What are these shapes and symbols? What's happening? Um, What's literally happening to my life right now? That's what you feel like. I, I, that's what a lot of beginners feel like, I imagine. What are some... I saw a recent Instagram post, uh, and I know you've been going back and looking at older pieces you performed. What's that like? Because yeah. for you, you're still a fully active performer, still doing a lot yeah. of these things. And for me, it's... Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about it later. It's a different feeling since I was not... I haven't been actively performing 
uh, since school or even during grad school. Can you just talk about what it's, what it's like? Yo, it's painful. It's, it's even, even looking at posts last week, it's painful. I was watching a, uh, a YouTube vlog that I did. Uh, it was like 2017, I think like January, 2017. It was one of the vlogs that I was doing at the time. God, I can't, whatever. (laughs) I was watching it and I was just cringing the whole time. At decisions you you made, like, is it musically? Is it technique? So you feel so much better about you now. It's technique. I, yeah. I mean, you know where the flip changed? It was when I bought this Sony. It was when I bought this Sony. I started editing on Adobe Premiere. Because uh, these are all vlogs that I did on Final Cut. So I hadn't really figured out, like, the fading in and out of music. I kind of did. I was also using, like, New Jabez's music. So it was, like, at the time it was, like, cools, whatever. But now, like, o- over the past few years, I've just been getting email after email, like, Rev Share, Rev Share that you don't own the copyright, Rev Share, you know? <laughs> Uh, whatever yeah but i was just trying to find my aesthetic i was i was learning and i needed music i needed a lot of things at the time but when i was doing the uh so going back that's so painful looking at that looking at my videos from back then but it really helps you realize what hurts more the the video like the elements of the video or the music like, like, are you are you looking back and realizing, like, technique issues, musical issues, or is, or is it really like, oh, like fading in video, the style of the vlog? Honestly, I think the video hurts more because I haven't done it as long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's that's literally it, and and I'm still the least. I'm still very insecure. Even after all of these years, I'm still very insecure about the product that I put out, which is why I did the daily vlogs, which is why I like kept trying to get better and learn. Because I was like, this is not where I want to be in mm-hmm. terms of the content that I put out. Yeah. So I don't know. I just kind of still look back at it. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. What's it like returning to some of these pieces? The I think you're talking about the Schubert recently. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm, I'm a. Uh, oh man, he's paying attention and like he's paying attention to I me, watch. faking fam. He's like, he's been wa- he's been watching my some live streams, I guess, or, or reading some like, of my captions. Hyperscroll. What? <laughs> Hyperscroll. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, so. I'm trying to do... Do you know Sherry Kim? Have I talked about her on the I pod? don't think so. She's a really good friend of mine. Like, she, uh, she's a YouTuber, a pianist. She went to MSM. Mm-hmm. And uh, we met at uh, a concert by Kyle Landry. Kyle Landry's like this really big internet pianist that I've been following for, you know, forever. Like, back when I was, like, trying to become a YouTuber and I was trying to, like... I was meeting people like Sherry and meeting people like Kyle. And they were the ones who were like, oh, this, yeah, this is what you do. You got to do it like this. Oh, yeah. So when I was learning, they were they were there to help. So he was performing live. I'd never met any of these people in person. And uh, I finally did. 
<clears throat> and when I when I when I was able to meet them and 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 uh, connect, it was really great. Sherry and I then became friends. We started collabing. We started making some content together. She even performed at my farewell concert uh, uh, at Rockwood before I moved to LA. So she's wow. she's like such a dear friend. Um, she reached out and she wanted to do a collab. So I didn't have this piece. I hadn't played it since freshman year in college. So I had to go buy it. And uh, I'm going to, I I I opened it, opened the package, and I'm going to be sending her, PDFing her all the parts so she has the, the music too. And we're going to, we're going to do it. Oh, should I, I say lo- that? I I'm, love that. Sh- no, I'm not going to PDF them. Wink, wink. I'm not going to PDF them because I don't want people to come from me. <clears throat> I'm SLP. I'll be sending I'm SLP to her. <laughs> shout outs to I'm SLP. But actually, hey, though, shout, shout out, out. Like, yeah, for real. Yeah. I'm SLP, the real, MSLP the real sure, OG. Dude. How is it returning to I the actual music? still be around. Yeah. How is it actually returning to the music from okay. your past? Uh, bro, it's like, it's really, it's really fun because I'm looking at it with different eyes. It's like completely different eyes. Yeah. And, and it's like, oh, that's something I used to do. It's like old habits that I used to do because I just didn't know better. And I'm now correcting them. I'm like, wow. Oh, oh God. What was I? Oh, it's like dusting cobwebs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, can, my last metaphor, and then I'm gonna let you talk. Let's hear it. Sorry, I've just been rambling. This, uh, it's like take. You remember Super Nintendo? It's like taking a game cartridge that's not working <laughs> quite well, and you pull it out, you shake it, and you, <laughs> you just blow into it, and then you put it back in, and then it kind of works a little better. Yeah, that's what that's what it's like. Oh, that's I love that. It is interesting returning to old things, uh, particularly for me, the most obvious one is when I try to redo yeah. things on guitar, so, and I'm not playing all the time, but mm-hmm. guitar was the one, yeah. Hmm? <gasps> You're bringing it back? What? I'm trying, well, I can't, I don't back. have it here, so it's not here with <sighs> me in quarantine, but I'm trying to bring it back uh, into my into my life because I was very it was the one instrument I was very serious about ironically of course didn't go study it at all but I was very serious <laughs> into it for an, about two to three years but a, a lot during that time and it's really neat to return to that instrument as opposed to me taking a couple year break on bassoon or returning is that guitar was also pre un- knowing anything about music pre-theory pre-ear training pre lessons pre how to practice pre yeah pre anything uh-huh. so it's really interesting to return to it because I can tell almost instantly what did I learn just by looking up the tabs, looking up the sheet music, and what did I learn by actually practicing and by ear and by doing correct methods. It's great because the test of time has come to show what still stands. So a mm-hmm. lot of guitar solos that I spent time with really learned meticulously, I could without any almost no memory it's uh, sorry without any any practice uh muscle memory kicks in and i can kind of play a lot of these things mm-hmm. and then almost everything mm-hmm. else is is evaporated and it depended all on those prior <laughs> techniques 
and I th- it's really neat coming back to music or a, a prior instrument and a prior really music. It's not like I've been listening to a lot of rock these days, and back then that's all I listened to. It's rock metal and guitar music. <laughs> music for a guitarist only. Uh, your Steve Vise and uh, Petrucci's and all these other people. But mm-hmm. what's neat now coming back is how much quicker you can learn things because of the understanding. Not not just age. I don't think age is age and maturity or other things aren't filtering into this. I think it's very specifically learning and understanding and having studied music in a different way. Uh, even though mm-hmm. it's not like we were talking about rock music, uh, except, you know, 2% of the time in school. We're talking about old, old-ass classical music and all so many of these principles apply so that when I returned to guitar or when I, as I returned to guitar and I look through these things, mm-hmm. I see the arpeggios, I see the progressions. And I'm looking at Jimi Hendrix. I am like, oh, it's, he's just adding the ninth. It's a normal chord, slide up, slide down. And by being able to kind of see the skeleton of music, I'm able to memorize it quicker, learn it quicker, understand it quicker. Everything mm-hmm. comes quicker. And it's very specifically due to the training that you would get from a music school or but I've invested time into it. I I really do think if I left undergrad, hadn't gone to Juilliard where I took these things more seriously. So it's not like a yay credits to Juilliard, that's why, but in my masters when I took ear training. Uh, like, hey, I mean, come on. Dude. Oh no, no. No, no shout out. Shout out to Juilliard. No, they <laughs> get credit, but I mean, I I think <laughs> for me when I went there and I was okay, I take mm-hmm. counterpoint seriously. I take ear training mm-hmm. very seriously. Mm-hmm. I finally tried to understand theory. Uh, yeah. These these types of things, and I put time into those time and effort and energy. I think that not just getting an A in the course or whatever. I think really putting energy into those, practicing theory, practicing ear training, practicing counterpoint. Then when I went back, I think that was the real kicker, and that's one reason yeah. why I harp on it so much is because those types of classes give you an understanding. And particularly anyone who's doing theater, pop, virtually any music, Mm -hmm. these rules apply even more for you. And that's that's all I really say about it. All of your music is dealing from is is dealing with these same components, these same little Lego building blocks. And if you just if you learn about the Legos, you can build anything. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, it's like I don't have any, I'm not smart. Okay, so I can't really, (laughs) I can't really speak to like counterpoint or like theory. I'm trying though. And honestly, when I'm going through this Bach, I'm like going back into this Bach second cello suite right Mm. now, bro. Holy crap. The last time I played this, I was a senior in high school auditioning for undergrad man and now i'm coming back with like understanding what chord understanding what chords are but you like learned seeing it so quickly diminish. comparatively i did speaking. learn it pretty quickly like oh the, i mean yeah the sight read was probably better than 90 oh. percent or the full peak from earlier just because of you know what's coming up you can zoom out on the music it's like oh we're just in you know we're just in uh g here okay Oh, we're just in C here. Okay. It depends on the it what's what's crazy about this though, and just being a string player though, 
what's crazy is like, it depends on the movement because some movements I can pick up, but particularly in this sweet for some reason there are so many movements that you have to practice because intonation wise there are so many chords and if you don't play it in tune it doesn't sound good it really it doesn't it doesn't have that power the mm-hmm. impact that you want Bach to have which is I'm like really embarrassed to say ladies and gentlemen I've been playing Bach out of tune 100% of the time <laughs> for my entire life until recently because of what you said with guitar. Like I'm playing guitar and I'm tuning the guitar and I'm like, I know what chords are supposed to sound like now. And I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> oh, sh- Of course, oh, you have no. the advantage and the disadvantage, <laughs> the double-edged sword of you could actually be in tune on viola and guitar, of course, like piano, it's a compromise because you can't be yeah. shifting those frets around unless you buy the nerdy loser guitarist individually fretted per string pseudo you know microtonal guitars but you know we, we don't have <laughs> things like that that's okay you get close <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be interesting too yeah how guitar you you your foray into guitar is affecting your viola playing is what what else is kind of coming to mind it's you know it's <sighs> It's that, like at least on guitar, you really have to use your pinky a lot more. Hmm. Like you really have to uh, put it in weird positions and you have to put your fingers in weird contorted positions and you have to hold them. On violin or viola, you really don't put your fit unless you're playing Bach, right? Mm-hmm. You never really are forced to really configure your fingers in a real tight hand frame. Uh, you can get away with out doing that. And your intonation is decent. It's whatever. But the one of the final things Heidi Castleman told me when I was leaving Juilliard was hand frames. Your hand frames. And this is something uh, Matt Cohen also reinforced. I think it may have been in one of the... Uh, it, I was playing the fourth suite and I was playing it for... Um, I was playing it for a studio class and we had, before we did studio classes, we had these uh, uh, just get togethers <laughs> and one in like Monday evening and just play it. everything through before a studio class. So it was there and they had said these comments. They were like, your hand frames are the key to understanding how to play in tune. It's not necessarily the ear. You can't, sometimes it's too fast. Sometimes you just don't have enough time or it changes so quickly. If you have the frame in mind, it'll you're much better off. Is that and so that's guitar. Is is that that's kind of like way. just like the hand frame, like the the shape or the, just the general position? Like I'm trying to think how to how would you communicate? It's that? shapes. It's 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 based off of shapes. Thinking and shapes. Hand frames are shapes. Thinking in shapes. That's a, and that's what guitar forces. That's you a to very. Do. That's because that's a very guitar thing. Because well, so much of guitar mm. is when you're first starting off, is chord-based. Typically, mm-hmm. you, you'll learn under the occasional, because I guess I, I guess because there's six strings, it's, yeah. it's a little trickier for beginners to start off doing multiple string things and then string crossings, and you have a yeah. pick, which is yeah. limiting for some things that are very easy on strings, per- particularly uh, when, if you're trying to pick something that would appear in a buck, like the violin, E, e major partita with the E, the do 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 do. You know, he's flying by and he pedals yeah. with the E. Um, 
all of our nerd listeners will enjoy this, but that is, knock on wood, probably one of the fairly easier, it's not easy, but an easier part of that piece for violin because the bow can kind of bounce across and you're crossing. But if you try to do that with a pick, very hard. Oh, it's not. Accuracy-wise. Like, that's when you get into shred metal, which is honestly how I really got into classical music. I came at it from two fronts. (laughs) No, yeah, yeah, it's not even a joke. I I went in because I was very big into guitar. I was interested in virtuosic guitar. I came into classical music from the very yeah. distinct memory from two two angles at simultaneously. So I can't give credit to one more than the other. But I was pre- playing bassoon and band in high school, and I was playing guitar on my own outside. And of course, I only care about guitar. But <laughs> the the two draws to classical music were. Going into my guitar teacher, the very first time I was like, it's time for lessons. Like, let's figure this out. I hadn't done lessons on anything else. And I, it's either junior year, maybe, of high school and going to a guitar teacher and he's like, jazz or classical? Mm. And because he, he mentioned, he's, if you're going to study this uh, in a college, it's those two. Yeah. It's, that's what mm-hmm. it's going to be. And I just went with classical because I knew it was hard. I mean, they're both freaking hard. Uh, but I wasn't super interested. I played bass in the jazz band, so I, uh, it's like, okay, I'm already doing that. Uh, let's do classical. And it was so freaking hard. And it's because of those weird, very weird positions. And a lot of the music you're playing, particularly the early stuff, was not written for guitar. It's written for the lute. Mm. Or it was written for violin or cello. So it doesn't, it didn't naturally lean itself for that particular instrument exactly and so I went ahead and did <laughs> yo I went ahead and started on that particular path in classical music and of course I first thing I want to do is learn Bach the cello suites hell yeah hell really yeah. hard that's how it and happened even worse that's was trying happened. to learn the lute suites aka the violin Sweets. Uh, and it, it was an absolute wow. nightmare. I was trying to figure out a puzzle, but that ex- exposed me to things like fugues. And the, these types of things blew my mm-hmm. mind. I was drawn in. Simultaneously, I'm trying to figure out bassoon. And mm-hmm. I'm reading the book. Whoop. Hold on. Uh-oh. That's my Ooh. alarm to, for our original recording time. <laughs> Dude, you said alarms too? Uh Hold on. Let me do it. Oh, I'm getting a Snapchat video. I'm getting a Snapchat video from my friends. Request. Hold on. Oh, no, you're good. Hold on. I only needed a clap for me. Okay. Yeah, check this. Can I tell that? Can I? Can I? Can yeah. I hit this and say, "Hey, I'm recording." Yeah. Hey. Hey. What? They can't change themselves. <laughs> hey. Hey. I'm. I'm. Hey. What's up, guys? <laughs> I'm like recording my podcast. I love you guys. Yeah. <laughs> of course, baby girl. We gotta talk. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Okay. Yeah. 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 Call back later. Okay. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. Love you. Bye. Bye. All right. Here, I'm gonna do one more cup of claps, and then I'll finish up my thing real quick. Okay. Yeah. Finish it up. And then the other was in bassoon land. I was learning from the book, uh, which was a terrible idea to learn bassoon. And I remember looking <laughs> through the fingering chart and, of course, flipping to the highest 
of the range. I was like, this this instrument's ridiculous. And there was a little mm. asterisk beside the high C, and of course it said, first note of the right of spring. That was the only asterisk in that whole thing. And I was like, what is that? Mm-hmm. I bought, like, my first CD I paid for was the Leonard Bernstein, Firebird, and Rite of Spring recording. And then the rest is history. Oh, so those man. two have those two oh, things happen around the same time. And so it was kind of like jumping in, you know, jumping in the deep end, both going into Bach Fuchs and Guitar Land and jumping into Stravinsky, the Rite of Spring. Stravinsky. And it was thick. And I just remember sitting on the couch with headphones. Remember the the headphones that like went over your ear and then that went around the back of mm-hmm. your head? Because you had to have those because to be cool, your headphones couldn't go over your hair. Uh-uh. It had to wrap around. Uh-uh. Otherwise, you're a <laughs> total around. loser. So I was listening to Stravinsky. <laughs> and, but my mind was blown. I had never really been exposed to classical music at all. And that was the first jump into there. So uh, the, my interest in difficult things in music, bassoon, classical guitar, is what led me into classical music. Holy shit. Dude, that's, that's, you know, it's so funny. It sounds like Sam Bodkin's story. Do you know Sam Bodkin? No. He's the founder of Group Muse. Uh... He's the founder of Group Muse. Uh, So I I got to meet him and hang out with him a little bit in New York when I was doing it in New York, Mm -hmm. circa 2015. Uh, He's played with Annika Jenkins, uh, Keith Williams, uh, Ronnie, Ron Vieg, you remember her? What was her last name? Ron Vieg. She may have come after. Maybe. You, Cause you let, yeah, I, we, this was 2015. Gotcha. Yeah. Like fall, like fall 2015. I was, I, I was yeah, out. Yeah. 2016 winter. Okay. Never mind. My B. Anyway, so I met him. He talked about his story. He said that he was, uh, he was chilling in his friend's basement one time and his friend's like, yeah, put on some music. And I, I guess they must have like smoked a bunch of weed or something. Cause like <laughs> he, he put, uh, the first thing he put on was a uh, gross fugue. Okay. Beethoven. Yeah. And that was his first time he'd ever heard classical music ever. And so Sam like just talks about how he would, he just then just listen to that movement over and over and over again for like a week and then he was like what is this so uh it's so funny how like the most complex weird freaky stuff uh about classical music those pieces at least of the time they were freaky like those pieces are that were shattering the norms those are the ones that actually bring people in to our art form We've, it's not really Mozart. We we've talked about this uh, in a number of ways, and like with Amy's story about, uh, and and talking about with with kids or whatever. How like the Rite of Spring mm-hmm. is a great example of mm-hmm. if you yeah, when they right. play Rite of Spring at a kids concert, those kids mm-hmm. lose it. They love it. It's entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> it's Fantasia. It's dinosaurs. Yeah. Like yeah. old people were once complaining about the Rite of Spring. Like oh, there's no music, even though it's of course over a hundred years old. <laughs> Um, but like it's like they don't know because they haven't been like conditioned or told These to not like it. They're entertained, and same with Amy. I take her to mm-hmm. my new music concerts, and I stopped prefacing it like, "Oh, watch out, here comes a weird one," because I I took her to one concert. A friend plays Wild Peace, and she loved it. it was super gestural, out there, insane, and that was her favorite. 
And it was certainly the weirdest one on the concert. And then I've taken to another where I'm like, oh, she's going to love this person because she's a great composer. And she said it was like the worst thing she'd ever heard. She walked out of there like furious. And I was just happy that she had an opinion. You know, <laughs> if there's any takeaway. I'm just happy people have opinions about these. You know, it makes yeah. you think things and critique things. But she walked out of there and I was like, oh, I, I kind of liked it. And I look over and she's like, that was the worst thing I've ever heard. And because it had a bu- uh, it had a bunch of high string uh-huh. stuff, and I guess it was screechy, but mm-hmm. I just couldn't believe after all the things I've dragged her to, that was the piece that broke her. I was so confused, and you just never know the one with violins in it. Yeah, right? with a bunch of screechy violins. Yeah, apparently, exactly. Yeah, exactly. She, yeah, like, violins. She said it was the chalkboard piece and the worst thing she'd ever heard, and I was mouth on the ground. Right. I'm like, I've taken you to so many worse things. <laughs> Let this be known. I want all the smoke. I don't care. If you're a violinist, give me all the smoke. I don't care. <laughs> when the chips are down, people don't want to hear your screechy E string. They'd rather hear a sultry C string. Earthy. That's all I got to say. The earth tones. But mm, baby, bringing it back to our previous uh, couple episodes, uh, I think we can learn from cults on this. And that it, getting people out of your cults, you don't know what is going to be the chip in the armor, uh, what is going to be the crack in the dam. And so with classical music, I think there's always this weird assumption. I don't know if it's because it's old people, older generations are pulling the strings in the front offices, but they just assume that your Mozarts, Beethovens, and specific pieces are the draws. Like, oh, this will bring them in. And I think one of the hardest parts mm. communicating that is often it does not seem to be the case. And we, we can't figure it out. I think a great opera to get people interested in opera are the two classics. Like Marriage of Figaro is funny. Mm. It's actually funny. Uh, Hansel and Gretel, mm. it's a known story. You can get into it. Uh, mm. Don Giovanni, like. Like the like those are some like mm-hmm. standard classics. So I'm like, I've seen all yeah, of like them. I yeah. I've played two of them. I didn't even watch opera. Uh, yeah, and like those are like fun <laughs> ones to watch. Yeah. They're known, mm-hmm. but also weird ones like Ravel's little one act opera. Le I would watch. It is it is watch dope because it's weird and trippy, and you wouldn't think someone mm-hmm. would like it. Um, there's so many ab- like so there are great examples of that pulls people in, uh, where it's mm-hmm. very standard. It's it's not out to get you, but things like the Rite of Spring, uh, things like Pinderesky just passed away. There's some whack pieces in there, things uh, ligety pieces, John Cage that can pull people in, and they're super out there, and that might be the one that gets people drawn into it. And you, you just don't know what might what it might be for some people. And I think I've been lucky. I don't know many, but uh, a good friend. Uh, Will McGee, a, f- a good friend from high school, Hunter Whittington. I'm just trying to think of names of people who who aren't out to learn music. They're not learning an instrument, but are actual like appreciators of classical music. And those people really interest me because for us, we have stakes in the game. A lot of people who might have played piano at an early age or played in band in high school or something, they might be drawn onto music. But when it really interests me is when people who fall in love with this who don't have a business need or a background in it, or even family members who drew them into that type of music. Like those, those are the type of people who really interest me. Mm-hmm. Damn, man. What a, what, 
what are we going to do <laughs> about it? What are we going to do? Like, this is a big interruption in the institutions we've been talking about. As far as specific to this as far pandemic as money and money flow. Yeah. Yeah. Money flow. Well, this is going to be really um, scary. Just be, because think about it. We were in trouble before this happened. In yeah. California, we have the whole AB5, which is going to blow up things anyway. So we're hit, getting hit with the triple whammy of reality. <laughs> Number two, yeah. AB5, which apparently I just read something about today. Even there, we're going to add in some musician yeah. exemptions, but it's still, exemptions, but it seems to still have just gaping holes in what would be needed, particularly for yeah. smaller institutions, yeah. smaller organizations, which mm -hmm. seems to be a very <laughs> normal pol politician-y thing is that there's very there's rarely any voice of anyone who's on mm -hmm. these smaller institutions nonprofits freelancers we're not we're not at the table so they don't even consider our mm -hmm. things and it's going to yeah. even with exemptions it's going to benefit your fills your philharmonics but mm -hmm. if you have a regional choir or a smaller opera every single person at the table is involved with orchestras no, not chamber groups, not operas, not theater, like not none, of, none of them. They're all the high ups of these big things, and that's a that's I suppose a huge problem. And then a couple of months later, pandemic time, and it's <laughs> it's not it's not going to be good. Yeah. We're going to see how it it comes out. Uh, we we have it all throughout music history when things adapt. It always gets small. A great example for you, music history folks, is just look at Box Life when there was a war going on. He wrote for less forces. That's it. Well, that's how you get. He wrote for less, for less, what? for less voices, less mm -hmm. instruments, less voices. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess the best, less instruments, Fewer less force, voices. Forces. He, wow. he. It has a direct impact. On, you can look through these composers' history if you sideline them uh, with. Oh, their because career. people die. Yeah. Well, like, people weren't people around. People are dying, and plus because too. money. Like, no, you're not going to have a huge cantata. Yeah. When people are off yeah. at war, you're going to write your partitas yeah. for solo instruments. And so that's like, yeah. think of these, these some wow. great works came directly out of history and their effects. Think of Ooh. Ravel and his experience in World War. Like think of all these composers with their interaction with real life, mm -hmm. um, needing money. <laughs> uh, yeah. Handel's Messiah, the famous example to where <laughs> he, opera was big money. But during a, a certain portion of the year, you couldn't have, I think, is it Lent or something? Uh, uh, I don't know. You're asking the wrong yeah, person. Uh, I'm trying to think. Lent or the Advent hey, Jamie, Jamie, yeah, Jamie can producer, you look that up for me? <laughs> um, but during one of the main seasons, it's it's Lent, it's the Pentecost, it's something Advent, long period. Uh, it was illegal. This is what happens when you're so many years removed from study. It it you couldn't put on performances of operas. It was everything was supposed to have a religious mm -hmm. connotation. And mm -hmm. business time, thus born, was the oratorio. That's mm -hmm. it. It was a money decision for composers. They're like, how can I still make money? Mm -hmm. They can't perform operas and these other things. It had to have religious connotations. And there you mm -hmm. get the oratorio, which is almost the same thing, except it's about Jesus. Boom. <laughs> print it it's money Jesus the opera Jesus Christ Jesus. opera star 
And they did it. And now look <laughs> at him. His business, he probably didn't want to write this. He ripped off some of his music from older pieces. And even I, he put in one of the things from an opera. And th wow. they did this all the time. And that's something that, that piece is probably one of the most performed in the world easily. It's kept this, it's kept him in the handle handle we still will talk about him for forever because it's such an iconic piece and at him it was probably a toss-off money thing during the off season Damn. bolero it was an exercise tchaikovsky money nutcracker like these iconic pieces uh wow. weren't really thought of highly by their their composers and because they were reacting to the real world so Whenever something comes out, it's like and sometimes that's the shit we still yeah, play today. Still that's the stuff that we're like, oh, this about. is these these are the great Master works. Master works, and they were business. They were like that was him trying to pay rent. Yeah, whoa, they were trying to pay rent. Pop music, it's like baby, it's like <laughs> man, that's true. And oh, and it's from man. their circumstance. That I mean, that's one thing that studying history that I got out of that I liked was just realizing that hey, these people existed in a real world. It didn't didn't come out of some genius vacuum. They were often reacting <laughs> to something, yeah. and or had to adapt. And some of their best works were their adaptions during wartime, uh, writing a piece, you know, Eroica for Napoleon. Then like, uh oh, dictator, scratch mm -hmm. that literally out of the score. You know, it's mm -hmm. for a brotherhood or whatever. Uh, oh, that's so but, fascinating, but, dude. That's that's like I need to be. You got to rap about your your soul, dude. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on in your soul? I can't wait for these quarantine bars, bro. Oh, man. I've already yeah, seen the quarantine this, pieces man. come up. And I give them a hard time, but I write about bars. sad, serious actual events, too. So I can't give anyone shit. Just make <laughs> my only rule is my, my one rule, and I stick to this, too, as someone who's like written pieces about school shootings. Uh, shout out to the month of March. Apparently, this is the, according to the meme I saw on the internet and haven't uh, researched a uh, verify this is true. Okay, it yeah, was the yeah, first yeah. March since two thousand two where there wasn't a school shooting. Oh, because there's no school. So you know we got one positive. Just, just you know dwell on that. I think I, I saw that. Somewhere it's a meme. Too. Like they, it's, it's been like a it's been like a month since we've had a school shooting. Yeah, and because no one's in school, so we can't have school shootings. <laughs> Always look I on the bright like, side, guys. Wait. But I was like, but these mass shootings, domestic yeah. violence is going. <laughs> You know, really, got to put a positive spit on it. Uh, but as someone who's written about yeah. serious things, not just like these, these shooting and mass shooting things in America, uh, you will always bump into the territory of tasteless. And for me, the more serious yeah. the thing it's about or that you claim for it to be about, the better it has to be. It's just Better like, it it's really just yeah. like the whole making jokes about very serious things is that mm -hmm. I think, yes, you should be able to joke about anything. Maybe there's not always the right time in the place, but I think you should, you should be able to make a joke about anything because <laughs> maybe that's the chink in the yeah. armor. Maybe that's how someone processes something. But here's mm -hmm. the thing. The more serious the topic, the better that joke should be. It's got to be better. It's got, like, mm -hmm. you should have a high standard. It's not cheap stuff. It better be enabling yeah. someone to have that as the chink in the armor. That, I mean, that's why I have beef with two set. Like, they just be using viola as the punchline for all the jokes. All the new music composers like, give them beef. They're not fans. Like, I see, I'm fine with them because I think mm -hmm. it's fun. 
but uh-huh. but a lot of the like new music community composers are despise them. I think we should despise other things, but still like really vehemently dislike yeah. them because they swing down. It's always making yeah. fun of new music, and you know to be fair, yeah. new music doesn't make it easy. Uh, <laughs> well, they sound a little salty to me. They yeah. sound like they're a little butt hurt. Like I get look, that's the thing. If you get made fun of, suck it up. Mm-hmm. Is is it, what a concept? Like that's something that I think violists have, like have to develop, like just to survive being a classical musician and a violist when everybody is just like, oh, we're out of tune. Guess it was the violists. Bassoon oh. gang, we're, I'm here with you. <laughs> Is is is, is that gangs here which, with you? Yeah, we play a guess? stupid instrument. Like we're here for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it built, you build a thick skin, so when people make fun of you, it's not a big deal. So I I just think that to not like somebody for, for making fun of you, I don't think that's a reason to not like somebody. Um, there are plenty of other reasons <laughs> <laughs> that you cannot like. I totally agree with you. It's like you have to kind yeah. of expect it. Like what what we do in yeah. new music land. Is borderline ridiculous. Some of the demands, some of the things that are famous in the rep are either crazy or goofy and could be laughed mm-hmm. at. And yeah. And people, I think, at the outset get so serious and defensive because a lot of it can be seen as swinging down. And that's understandable. I see yeah. this, uh, I've seen this all the time, and actually from a lot of like Julia people who aren't really exposed to new music because it's not really a new music school. It's one of the last bastions of the great classical era. These are the remember, these are the students who are most <laughs> likely going to wind up in the orchestras. They're they're not yeah, they're gonna go on to work at the Mets, the the establishment. Like establishment. Big opera. Uh, <laughs> but they're the prefects. Yeah, the, they're the prefects. There we go. And at other schools, our smaller schools like our under our undergrads, um, because there's a good chance orchestra or your traditional establishment route might not be as likely. I do see more experimentation and openness to other types of music because a career in new music might be what they do. That's how I got into it was because I knew orchestra wouldn't be my only route. So I explored and virtuosity in new music, some of the most challenging music you can play. That's what drew me in was playing new pieces, wildly hard pieces, Stockhausen's trying to go in and play this bonkers thing, I put a ton of time into it because I loved it. I loved the challenge of it. It was the next logical step after being interested in virtuosic guitar was virtuosic speed bassoon. Running. I was trying to speed run <laughs> bassoon. And you know, Stockhausen and Freud is kind of like speed running. It just gets faster and faster. Uh, but the speed running is a great example. It's Speed running and uh, contemporary classical music are practically the same thing to me. They're both a niche within a niche. And yeah. I'm never surprised. And I laugh at most of the jokes made about us because it's not a, even a thick skin thing. It's like often they're right. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> because a lot of what we do is inherently kind of uh, stupid. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to task in, I never want to task anyone with just like having to understand or kind of like you know respect without criticism when a composer gets up there and there's a great movie it's called untitled and it it's both very funny and uh-huh. serious and sad and it's a great you you'd love this movie 
it's, it's the real deal. <laughs> but it kind of speaks to Netflix? all. Can I don't know where to find it. I doubt it. I saw okay, we watched it in my composition or our composition like seminar in undergrad. It was it was it was a requirement oh. one week uh, that we'd all talk oh, about boy. this movie, and it was really a poetic and yet funny movie that I think did a great job of both taking <laughs> contemporary art art in general, so not just music, uh, very seriously and poking at it. And mm-hmm. I thought it was the best way to, because you could watch that movie and get everything you needed out of it because it was both making fun of some of the ridiculousness, like recording the guy that there's, the lead is a contemporary composer. Of course, no one likes this guy. He's kind of rude and no one gets him. And then there's uh, like a girlfriend who owns an art gallery and she wears like rather rubber leather pants. He's like, oh, I love that sound. I have to record it. And he makes her take her pants off and he like puts a microphone up to her pants. He's like, and he's like, <laughs> and one guy in this group, uh, his music ensemble, which of course has to have a bass clarinet. What? And this guy plays the bucket. And he, and so he kicks a bucket on a string. It has rocks in it or something. And this piece has a mm-hmm. bucket in it. And he, and you know, it's so stupid. He's kicking a bucket. Yeah. He's kicking yeah. a bucket. And like, so you laugh at the scenario. Symbolism. But you see forever. the person. Oh yeah, that's that's great. Great point. It's he's death of music. I love it. And but but you see the guy, and he's like asking questions about per- the performance of this piece where he kicks the bucket, mm-hmm. and he's practicing, and he has intent and focus. Mm-hmm. And so, I won't I won't spoil the ending because it actually is a great. There's funny lines in it. Any okay. any person I'll in the arts will get a kick out of it, and and kind of <sighs> feel like both relieved and sad. <laughs> Uh, you you get to you get you get multitudes of this, but the takeaway is that yes, you can laugh at this, but also, if you were doing this for full appreciation, particularly contemporary stuff, something more experimental, if you go into it with the expectation that people aren't going to find what you're doing ridiculous or funny or just not get it, I think that's the wrong mentality. It's mm-hmm. like if I'm going into to write a pop like pop song i would have different goals than if i went in and was trying to put something in a museum and that doesn't mean the the miscalculation is assuming that one is better than the other that something that would belong in a museum is better than something that would play on the radio and i think most of our generation has kind of started to discount that to understand that you can have very artful best selling books best selling you know kendricks Kendrick Lamar, you can get you can get the Pulitzer with something that also plays on the radio, and I think that was kind of the old bottle of you know museum music, science music, and then pop music or folk music or art music, and I don't think there's as big of a line as there used to be, nor do we need it. Nor do we need it. But yeah. my thing is, if you have it, you can have some idea. You know, write the music you want to write, play the music you want to play. Uh, you can have an idea of what you want out of it, but I can't expect the reaction entirely uh, to to be what I want. If I'm writing an art piece, super arty piece, I can't expect people to not get it, not understand, think it's dumb. Hey, it's, you know, some minimalist. Hey, it's just a bunch of repeating notes. You know, they're not wrong. (laughs) They're not wrong. But also, if I write a pop thing, um, I I could expect some people to think it was bad or dumb too on the other side. And in some cases yeah, it might be, true. in some cases it's not. We're tearing down barriers. That's beautiful. Too. Bro, I, I you said something in there that was really brilliant. And I think is something that I'm telling clients and something that I really believe and have always believed, but nobody really be- 
believes it or believes me. And it's like, if you're not going to be the best player in the world, why do you expect people to listen to you? If you're not going to be the best videographer in the world, why do you expect people to listen to you? That's like the conventional wisdom, mm-hmm. right? It's like, if I'm not the best, why bother? It's like, that's not the point. It's like, what you have to say is interesting, but you have to figure out what's interesting about it. And when it comes to like this really artful music that is getting the awards today there's something inherently interesting about it but it's also not so stuck in the weeds that it's that uh, that people can't understand it right it's it's a great marriage between like really complex ideas and a dope beat you know what i mean (laughs) i love i love what you you said because I think it becomes more and more apparent. It's still hard to filter out, but now that we, we have less and less barriers to entry in anything, what used to cost millions of dollars to be in a studio to release your album, you don't need that to sweep the Grammys like Billy. Yeah. Billy Ash. You need you need a, a cool older brother and you can sit in your room and you can release that. Post Malone. Does he think he's yeah. the best? No. Is he the best? No. Does he care? Like, but look at him. He's successful. He doesn't care. Like, yeah, he's yeah. fine. And like some of those those tracks are dope. And yeah, it, it's not about sure. who who is the best. And often you've seen this. Some of our best colleagues have haven't quite gone anywhere yet by our typical standards. Um, it's a little mm-hmm. easier. I honestly, it seems in classical music, it's a little easier if you are the best to still get to the top, but think of something where it's more subjective, where there's less, where there's less barriers to entry. A classical music has a lot of barriers to entry or to, to the top. There's just a, some fundamental things you have to do to wind up in the orchestra. But think about acting. Some of the, I loved going to, I went to a lot of shows at Juilliard because I knew these were the, these were the, first, first of all, they're interesting people, but they're, they're the cream of the crop. They're going to go on and wind up in movies and television shows that we're going to watch. And that has actually turned out to be true. <laughs> a lot of them yeah. are popping up in Netflix, HBO, uh, get yeah. headlining Bunch being of stars. And here's the thing. Yeah. I can think of one in particular person. I will, of course, say no names. Who I went and saw. Uh, and I, I cried at a performance. It was so good. It was so really? good. I won't even say the show. Just to wow. keep it. And I was like, this is the superstar. This is the one, mm. your your next Robin Williams, your next, yeah, uh, your next Meryl Streep, whatever. Like this is the attention it's to their detail next and stuff. craft. They're next. This is this is mm. it. I'm I'm mm. like glad I'm witnessing it now. <clears throat> has not booked anything. Yeah. Has not booked. It's it's three four years later, not booked a single thing. And some of the colleagues who are also, of course, great. It's a numbers game. They're great. Uh, are are headlining? You know, their third show. Yeah, <laughs> are, are, are the leads mm-hmm. on this? Are booking films? Yeah. Are, are now modeling They're, for um, Ham- Hamilton? Oh yeah, like all of these Ham- Hamilton. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh well, Jimmy, he's a star. I mean, like yeah. he's a superstar. We knew he'd be famous, Jimmy. but he was one of those bro pianos. I saw him perform with uh, Chelsea Starbuck, mm-hmm. and who did she play? Who did she play with? They had a duo. Um, Le deux. 
Les Ducks. Yeah, bro. Les Ducks. They were performing. Les D- Ducks. <laughs> Les Ducks. <laughs> yes, the two. And they performed at pianos. And I came by and Jimmy came out of nowhere. It was during their show. He just came out of nowhere and they started I know. He started singing and got the crowd hype, bro. He stole the show, man. He's so good. Jimmy Jeter is like once in a generation. And now he's once he's a Hamilton. A well, plus he's such a bright, cheery person. Like yeah. you want him to have success. I know. Um, another. I mean, so many of them have great voices, and they don't even spend much time on on vocals in the drama department. Uh, Chelsea, she's great. You, she's appearing on. You Broadway. know what I love most about before we leave before we leave Jimmy, JJ. You know that he's the type of dude that wants other people to shine too. You want to know how I know that? Let's hear it. He's the one to put me onto my barber when I moved to New hey. York. I saw his cut. I was like, "Hey, bro, I just <laughs> moved here. Like, can you tell? You're looking clean as you look clean as a mug, homie. What you? What? Where's the? Where's the plug? And he he hooked me up. Dude, that's the hookup. And uh, I haven't looked back. I haven't looked back since. Still. Well, he's he's yeah. that NC fam. <laughs> I always liked him. He was really nice. I haven't yeah. talked to him in a while. But he's from Winston Salem, I believe. Um, I haven't talked to him in a mm. in a long while. But we we were friendly. Like some yeah, people, man. I got to see more than others. <coughs> but I saw him more more than others. I think because he was also in the dorm. But uh, great person. And obviously, he's, when he's, he's in doing LA, well, but he's, he's he is LA, a great person. You know? An example yeah. of he's in LA now. No, when he's in oh, LA, okay. you know what we gonna try we, to do. We, yeah, we we're gonna, gonna try to be like, hey, bro, come uh, through. You want pizza? Come through. You won't be on a pod. You want, want free pizza? Oh, that pizza place, bro. I miss it. I forgot all about it, man. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. But yeah, we got it. We got to hit uh, hook them up. But seeing some of these people, sure. even so, segueing out about reception to art uh, beyond being the the best is again like particularly music and unless you need the best for some of these things, it's not always going to happen. You're going to choose your friends. You're going to choose people, you know, (laughs) like you're going to choose people, you know, and here's one thing that bugs me. It's because it's, it's tough, but it also makes a lot of sense is when you see people getting a lot of either commissions, getting a lot of gigs, getting a lot of things. And it can be very frustrating because it looks very insidery. Because it actually is. <laughs> it's you you are not wrong. <laughs> when someone gets that thing, when someone gets that even those jobs, even if it's a blind audition, whatever, when someone gets that job and you're like, hey, that person was subbing with them or their teacher was in this or me, me, me. And it is true your frustration that's actually fairly valid because these are insidery things. But here's here's the point though. Is that's part of it. Relationships are part of the equation. Who the person is is part of the equation. When you're playing in, say, the Met, you're going to be sitting beside this person every night of the week for four hours playing all this music. Do you want to be sitting beside the best who's an asshole or someone who's who could play just as well and is not an asshole, and you were friends with, and would be great to hang out with the bar after. You go with the person who goes to the bar. When you're working with someone, Drew, when you're playing with someone, it's not about assembling the A-team. It's about assembling the A-team of friends. If everyone can play the notes, be musical, and you have fun, Mm -hmm. first off, it often leads to better music. But I've bumped into this, where performances of my pieces, I've assembled the A-team of players, and they didn't gel, 
and it was a train wreck. It didn't matter how good they were, the piece and the performances weren't, weren't as good because they themselves didn't get along. Uh, and so firsthand experience. And so it, it kind of like opened my eyes like, hey, these decisions were being made not just because of these insidery things. Your teacher, that teacher was more likely to pick you for the position, not just because they know you and they're like, hey, I want to look good. I'm going to pick my students. No, that teacher trained you in a way that they they think that teacher wants you to be the best in their eyes. And so they just taught you how to be the best in their eyes, like the techniques, how you're performing something. Uh, and so naturally, you're gonna, they're more likely to choose someone they taught, not because it makes them feel better or, hey, like, I know this, I fully trust this person, but also they've learned it in the style or in the way yeah. or the methods that they themselves thought was better. That's their ideal. So mm -hmm. th there's all these little things that kind of poke in, and we 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 hope in 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 art land, which is very subjective. That you know, the the greatest will prevail. That's not the case. You need money, you need support, you need friends, you need relationships. You don't get anything being the best if no one's heard what you've done, or if no one likes you, or if mm -hmm. no one cares. Like these are all just as important as being very good at your thing. Because any organization, if they could choose 10 people to play a piece or 10 people to commission, and they would know that all 10 of them would deliver, it doesn't matter if one's going to drop a 97 uh, score piece and one's going to drop a 96. If 96, it's like, hey, they're all really good grades, uh, but we like yeah. this person, and they came to our concerts and... They just didn't remember and what they a mitochondria it's was. Like, and that person looks, yeah, like they didn't know what the mitochondria is. It's the engine of the cell. And and, uh, <laughs> and that's all I remember. Drew knows more biology stuff than me. Um, but it, it, it doesn't really matter. Like if you hit the threshold yeah. of good or whatever they're going for, these other elements kick in. And the same thing I tell my students too um, when they're like auditioning for your Juilliards for these other schools is like, hey, one of the most important things you can do, you're, for some of them, it's like we need to work on the craft. We need to work on the music, you know, to get you. In. But here's the thing. Once you poke through the bear, you shatter the ceiling of very good. For instance, Juilliard, it's like you've got very good music. Here's the thing. If you got slightly better at the music, the craft got a little better, I don't think it would really increase your chances. Once you meet that threshold, everything else comes into play. Do they want to spend the next two years sharing their knowledge and their one hour a week time with you. Mm. And like, that's it. Would they want to like talk to you? <laughs> Would they want to be in the room with you? Would they be proud having you run around five years after still mentioning them? Uh, are you worth their time? And are you friendly? Are you going to be a good student? Will you listen to them? Are you not going to be an mm. asshole? Like all these other like little things that have almost nothing to do with the music come into play. And so... You can, we, we know the steps. Here's the thing. We know the steps to get better at music. You practice. You play with people. Mm -hmm. You study it. Musicians aren't really taught the other steps of all those other important things. How to be a good person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how to make friends. How to run a business. How to do online presence. And like, in this day and age, those are just as important. End rant. You, it's so funny. Online presence, like that is the real word. And that's what my coaching that I want to do in the future will be about. It's it's about presence. 
like when you post something, you have to emanate something in terms of like how vulnerable you're going to be. How like, uh, are you going to say the thing that actually makes you look kind of, uh, like makes you look less powerful, makes you look maybe a little weaker? Is that something you're willing to do? Because a strong person is willing to look weak. Like that's a very, it's I'm kind of so like, remember strong. with, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's like Witcher. Remember we talked yeah. about that for a bit, you know, that show, you know how he moves so slowly. It's because he's not. He doesn't need to move quickly. He's not afraid of anything in the room that could do harm to him for him to need to jitter, to need to be jittery. Mm -hmm. If you're a person who is strong with your sense of self, you're willing to realize that maybe you're not good at what you do. Maybe you're not as good as you could be. You're not as good as everybody else. You're not as good as Ray Chen. You're not as good as Tabea Zimmerman. You're not good as Sarah Ferrandez. You're not as good as Trevor Bumgarner, right? Well, the bar is just but that's a, but that's so you know? but that's so I know for Trevor Bumgarner, I mean, God damn, he looks like, so weak dude, online. How many lives he must be like he must be the strongest person. On no, <laughs> what? <laughs> no, what I mean is, you you have to realize how much there is to learn. However, how much there is to know, how much you don't know, and be okay with that and share anyway. You got to be okay with that. That's the biggest problem because if you're not okay with that and you end up being wrong and then you get all this hate, you get, you got to be okay with that. You got to be strong enough to like, to handle the scale that is the internet now. It, it's, it's a whole nother It level. really, that, I mean, that same comment directly applies to what you're talking about, like the decisions of your, your art. Like you can't have expectations of greatness, yeah. of people watching your videos, of people not making fun oh, of you or know. laughing at you or not get quite getting it. Uh, you, yeah. I, I guess it all circles back to like, you're not in control of other people's reactions. You're only in, yeah. you're only in control of how you react to their reactions. And it's scary when you have 120,000 people waiting for you to do something. Well, yeah. Cause you have actual consequence. It's like, oh, oh, wow. See, the thing is, is like you either have to get numb to it and do it so much that you don't realize what you're doing. You're just, you're in it. Mm -hmm. You're in the grind mode. And I think Joe, uh, Joe Rogan and some of the comedians he brings on talk about this. When you don't do the, when you're not up on stage every single night in a comedy club, even if you take a week off, it feels a little weird. Putting content on the internet is the same way. It's literally the same way. Mm. It's literally the same way. Like getting on a boat and then getting off and then trying to put content on the internet again, super weird. Super weird, bro. So I recognize that. It is neat. It's good to hear too, uh, because like my weakest thing is online presence. I've just, with each passing year, I've like done less and less. I'm posting less. Uh, uh, and, and it's true. Like <laughs> other than this podcast, I've just done less and less. And I think it- You do a lot, bro, I think, well, just other than- With this well, podcast. Other than this, but- You do I a lot. I haven't posted to my own personal Instagram in, in over half a year. I just realized that. Like an actual picture. Wow. Yeah, wow is- Right, I sit there and and it, it it's a muscle, but also realizing and understanding like, hey, that choice is is hurting the business, and that's true because people need the thing I preach about is people need to know about you in order to do things. And when I was at my most mm. successful, 
it, it was because I was <laughs> commenting on Facebook. And they just, all they needed to do was remember my existence. I already talked about it recently. My most recent and currently mm -hmm. held job, which I love, was because one of the, I'm always on Facebook, but one of the few times I like commented on something, he moved to LA. I said, hey, I'm here. And then next thing you know, fast forward a couple months, I'm still working there. Uh, and like <laughs> wow. all these little things, like they actually, like, yes, they're frustrating. Uh, we talked about this with Isabel Hagen, dear friend. Uh, yes, like maybe in a dream world, we wouldn't have to do this, but we, mm -hmm. but to not do it is, is an active choice to not be participating in the social media environment as an artist is an active choice because now when I'm it trying is. to remember like, Oh, I have a thing or I need to record. It, it came to me. Oh, someone's supposed to video a year ago. That's who I went with, or oh, so and so. I can tell they remote record because they post these videos. Like that's that's how, if if that's how I'm coming to these decisions, then mm -hmm. then how could I expect it be any different when people are when they're making their movie, and you know they can choose from sixty people. Like, well, why would I be in their head if they haven't thought about me for two years? Oh, it's baby. not. Because they listen to your podcast. That's right. They're bro. like, this, this guy. This is the ultimate destination. I've heard him. He's like, <laughs> I, hear, I hear him ramble for, for two hours every week. He's who I want to be working with on my score, even though oh, I've never hey, heard his stuff. Oh, hey. Actually, that's actually a very good point is that, um, well, yeah, we'll, st we'll start to wrap this sucker up. But a very good point is Yeah, that for sure, I, for sure. Same thing I bet with you, Drew. I've gotten so many gigs, a scary amount of gigs, uh, and opportunities from people who've never actually heard anything I'd ever done. Happens wow. all the time. All the time wow. where it was like, <clears throat> just because they knew me or a, th a third party, someone in between was like, hey. Re a recommendation. recommendation. The yes. recommendation and the awareness of Bro, the existence everything. is more important, has done me more service. First of all, that's the I most can't, I can't test it because of my terrible online presence uh, of my art, of my presentation of my art is uh, very bad. But so, but even still, I've done a lot of things and it's been 100% recommendation, reputation, and just actually sheer existence, particularly scoring because a lot of people, not many of our musicians' friends are making movies. So they're not reaching out, but some of our actor mm -hmm. friends have done it. Uh, friends of friends, they're like, hey, we, we're making this movie. And I just type in, hey, need music, question mark, boom. Next thing I know, I'm scoring their film. Did they see examples? No. Did they have any idea I did this? No, but they're, I was just there. I was there. And they, I got a recommendation. It had actually very little to do with the art. And that's, that's really a, like a lesson to get out of that is, is to try to keep your presence up. Um, be there so that when the, and you, you want to have enough craft so that when you get the phone call, you're ready. You can deliver. Yeah. And when people are thinking about it, when people are like, what are, what are some black violas that I know? And boom. First of all, I just think of me because yeah. <laughs> like I am me, but it's also like, I don't know that many either. So that's a huge advantage. What, you were with me when it happened. And it's great. You were with me when it happened. It, one of these examples, it was a recommendation. They didn't want me. I wasn't the first pick. A lot of times the first picks of people tend to be busy. So it's good to be second string. Oh, everything. It's totally cool a, to be second string. A lot of my gigs, uh, and we've talked about this too, a lot of my gigs, actually a majority, 
of even jobs, teaching positions have mm-hmm. been because I was the sub person. I was flexible. I could come in there and I know I'd do a good job. I was very confident subbing in and walking into any mm-hmm. situation on the teaching side of things. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of confidence there. But also with these film scoring gigs, with these dance things, no, more often than not, it was because the first person they asked passed it down. I just, I just did a documentary. Same thing. Number one couldn't do it. Great friend, incredible composer, busy, and just was going through a transition period. Couldn't do it. And he looked at it and he's just like, okay, I know who could do this. And he could feel comfortable passing that on. And so many things where I was the sub and then they were going to leave and I, st- and I came in. It wasn't because they had ever watched me teach. They had just heard reports from the parents or from the students and that I had showed up when they couldn't do it. I came and helped them in their hour of need. I did it. And then that's the call. It's not like they sat down there and like witnessed me teaching or, or watched the film that they recommended me for. I bet that never has happened ever. <laughs> to where they passed Never. it down the line, like, hey, there's this, uh, you know, couple minute thing. Like, I think, you know, like we, I don't even want to, not even able to do it together. You know, you can take this one. And then I say, okay. And then I do it. I, I'd be stunned if they actually ever watched it to follow up on it, but it's that trust. And I think we finally, <laughs> and I don't blame them. It's, you know, who, who has time to like, it's, you got to have more confidence yeah. in yourself. Who, who has time to, to like check up on that? But here's the thing though, like all of like now we've finally been in the position for a while to where for the first time I'm sending things down the ladder. It's like, I can't do this. And it feels good. And that's, that's a, in the freelancer's life. That's a promotion. Yeah. Is when that's, that's a promotion in the freelancer. When world. you're on string. Yeah. When you're on the second rung, it's, it's it, it feels great because in, when, nice. it, it re, when it really hit was I just kept, you know, building portfolio, building jobs, really never leaving anything mm-hmm. in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It just kept building, building, mm-hmm. building. And then the moment I had to leave all these positions, that was the opportunity to send it down the ladder. And it was great because I got mm-hmm. to help people. I tried to divvy it up. I'm mm-hmm. like, who would be good for this? What's best for mm-hmm. both the school and the person? And... I was in a lucky position where almost all, almost all of them I got to see teach. But even for some of these things where I knew there'd be an actual interview process, I was like, okay, here's the three people I think who could do it. And they interviewed and they took who they wanted. And it wouldn't have been my first assumption of who they would have chosen. I was like, oh, this person, she's amazing. Like I've seen her teach with these young kids. She's going to do great. And like this guy was really nice, really smart. Um, he's great. I've never seen him teach, but I'll, I'll throw his name in the hack. You know, I, I sent an order. He could figure it out. And that's who got it. Like they they interviewed all three and they 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 went with who they wanted. And it was okay. But that was even rare. Like often it's just you know, these teachers, arts head men, commissioner, everyone's strapped for a time. And so the word of mouth is more Mm -hmm. valuable. No one has until I got to LA (laughs) specifically, it was the first time anyone because they didn't know me, no one was recommending. It was the first time anyone ever asked, like, hey, could you like do you have any examples of doing this before? And I looked at it and like, I was, I was like, wait, what? No one's ever asked me for, <laughs> for prior experience. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. just garage. Yeah. Band with these film people, I'm like, I want to take the gig because I haven't done it before. That's why it's interesting to me. Like I like the challenge of that, but it's true until I got to LA and then this past year, whatever it is, 
however old, 28, was the first time anyone even asked for like samples of prior work. And I was confused and it made me realize like, uh-oh, someone said, because I don't really have a functioning website, someone, uh, one of my collaborators who I'd even worked with before and I love them. And it's mm -hmm. one of my favorite groups of people. I will work, mm -hmm. I want to do the rest of their projects forever because they're just great people. And it's fun to be around. Hey, hey, previous conversation. But even them, exactly. people I had worked before out in LA, it's it's entertainment. It's a different business. They were going to recommend me for yeah. something and like, hey, where, you know, are there any, do you have any examples of this existing thing? Even though we're on our third project. Yeah. And I was like, what? And he specifically said, you know, we know, we think you're awesome is what he said. He's like, you know, we know, we think mm -hmm. you're awesome or whatever. Uh, but mm -hmm. how do, how can they know unless they see something? And then I sat there and I'm like, mm -hmm. fuck, I gotta fix the website. Tre Trevor, do you want to have a consultation with me? Dude, yeah, from the boss. I can't afford you. Uh, let me help you. I have a podcast, no, baby. I can't on, afford It's you. on the house, baby. <laughs> it's on the house, baby. No, what I mean is like this lit this literal conversation that you said happened has happened on my side, but it's happened differently because they're like, look, Drew, you don't have to do anything. I've shown them your stuff. They are over the moon about it. We don't need to even convince them to fork the money for it. And I was like, what? That was the first time in my life where people were like, no, we're going to throw you lots of money because we've seen your work. You you have so, it. And yours is easy to, and yours is easy to find because it might not even be like, hey, uh, you can point them in the direction of specific something, but it's like, do you yeah. make videos you plan? Do you have any of those? You can just be like, check, just go scroll through. You don't even have to like point them in yeah. any real direction or like, hey, let me send you a Dropbox link. It's like, hey, check out my <laughs> check out my Instagram. And it's like, boom. It's like we 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 get a you get a good snapshot of you without them having met you. And that's mm -hmm. my biggest thing that I've talked about mm -hmm. uh, ad nauseum on here is that mm -hmm. I was very fortunate mm -hmm. to just be in good place at a good time, to be yeah. number two for many years, uh, mm -hmm. to be available to help people mm -hmm. and then later mm -hmm. on pass things. So everything I did was the was of the fortunes of word of mouth and recommendations mm -hmm. and just being being mm -hmm. there everything and now so, i so finally have don't to ha yeah yeah if you don't have mm -hmm. if you move to a new city and particularly one like mm -hmm. la very business oriented that that's when it really starts to matter that you need you need all three you need you need mm -hmm. also to have have a way of communicating who you are to people who haven't met you and that's what i need to yeah. to work on that's what everybody needs to work on. That's what I would want to work on with anybody. I feel like this this feels like a big old commercial. I don't mean to make <laughs> it be a, a commercial for like what I'm trying to build, but I see this need and I see that people are really hungry for it because they just don't even, a lot of times people don't even, uh, I, that I've been speaking with, they're afraid of what other people will think about them. They care. They the first thing that they go to is like, what are other people? I'm going always to think? combating that too. When that's the whole point, you want other people to think you're dope. You want to make dope projects that are fun to you, that other people can see, and they're like, oh, this is a fun person, and you know, not bad. Their instrument playing is not bad, but that's not the most important. That's not the most interesting thing about you, Trevor, or me. It's not that we play an instrument. That's not. It's interesting my. It's anymore. my. Rock hard eight pack. That's the most interesting. Yeah. Oh, it's that pod. I was bob, I was baby. telling Drew since I haven't been exercising, uh, that I've got mm -hmm. I look like a cheesecake factory special. Like I'm like a I'm and a twenty one dollar <laughs> menu item at a cheesecake factory right now. 
And I sent back up emoji with like the licking lips. I was like, yeah, mm, delicious. Mm. I love cheesecake. <laughs> oh my gosh. Speaking of cheesecake, you know what, guys? It's been a yeah. great episode. We could we could really could go on and on and on, but uh, we're gonna we just could. go on we and on talk and on to you, in the huh? next one. So we will drone on forward. <laughs> um any any la- any last words, Drew? Anyway, so I I just want to um, give a big old hug through your eardrums uh, from a distance, six feet away. Uh, we're, it's a difficult time. We're all, you know, dealing with, we're having to look more inward, uh, especially those of us who may not be surrounded by family. And if you're one of those people, my heart goes out to you. Um I really do hope that this, you know, this project, us continuing to share, us continuing to produce this is in some way, shape or form, like uh, giving you a hug for real, because like we will get past this. We will survive this. Many won't, unfortunately. And that's the way pandemics work. Unfortunately, this is a difficult time. One where in many times throughout, you know, <laughs> previous episodes, we've talked about silk slippers. We've talked about difficult times. Like we we have it easy. We have it good. Now this is just a taste of what it what life really could be like. And so I hope we retreat inwards and still give thanks for the many things we do have and uh, the love we do have and reach and spread that because that's how we survive is by reaching out with love to each other and uh, keep each other seen, even though we can't physically be next to each other. So I'm giving you a hug from six feet away all the way in LA. We love you all. Hugs out to our fake and fam. Yes. And we'll, we'll, yes, indeed. we'll check in with you next week. We'll see, yeah, we'll see you next week. On week whatever of the quarantine. Peace to everybody. <laughs> we don't know. Time is... <laughs> Time is relative in the hall of the universe and this fucking quarantine.